So welcome to another episode of Tuesday Talks with Dan and Harris. So Dan. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> hey Harris, how are you doing today on a Tuesday afternoon? It's, uh, I'm doing all right. How are you doing, man? Hey, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, looks like my makeup isn't uh, <laughs> uh, isn't done here. But uh, let's uh, let's jump into it. I mean, I think our first one uh, we, we we shot was pretty good. We touched on a lot of good points there, and uh, uh, yeah, today today what are we talking about? Harris? Well, I, I wanted to talk about um, first time home buyers. I think that's like incredibly important, especially with like kind mm. of the climate today, um, with what's going on with real estate. Uh, figure would go over a little bit about the process, what they should be thinking about. Um, and yeah, well, like how can they navigate through this thing? And I think, um, you're in a better position to speak about this than I am. Um, because I think you see that, that those issues firsthand, you're the one who kind of helps people figure out their financing and all of that. Um, right. So it's kind of a, I think, I think one thing that I see at least with the first time home buyers that come through, um, Treadstone law is that they're always kind of confused and they're not necessarily, they don't know what to expect next. And I don't think there's anyone there that kind of tells them from beginning to end what to expect at the next stage. So they're always kind of like, Oh my God, I don't know how to do yeah, this. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. It's, you know, it can, if you're in the market for the first time or it's been a long time since you've purchased, it can be so overwhelming. Mm. I mean, there's just so many different things you have to kind of juggle um, that I, yeah, I see this a lot. So I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this today because uh, as we kind of hit the ground in 2022, uh, you know, we're going to see a lot of folks getting out there trying to get into the market. Um, and I think FOMO, uh, it, you know, could, could be part of that. But regardless of what, what their um, reason is to, to get into home ownership, um, yeah, this is a, a good subject to, to touch on. I actually did, uh, you know, I'm going to plug my my uh, channel again, but I, I ended up doing a video on uh, sort of like a first time home buyer, um, everything you need to know, uh, 101 basics. Yeah. So it's uh, it's kind of fresh in my mind too. And you're right, like a lot of clients um, that, that come in uh, as we're kind of running through their you know, their application. And so there's so many questions, so many things to, to cover and government programs and uh, things in, in, uh, in the news. So let's jump into yeah. it. I'm excited. So about I guess this the one. first question would be if you're a first time home buyer, what's the, what's, and you're maybe six months out to actually actively buying, what are the financial right. questions that first time home buyers should be asking themselves? Yeah. <clears throat> and I think before anything, you know, the, the fun part in, in the entire process, if, you, if there's going to be any part that's fun, would obviously be the shopping, yeah, yeah. right? Everyone loves shopping. But before you shop, it's good to have a grocery list. It's good to have a, yeah. um, a budget, a plan. So in this case, six months out, it's probably a good idea to kind of do a financial check to see where, you know, where everything's at. Because um, sometimes things come out that uh, you're not expecting or not anticipating. Maybe there's changes in... Um, underwriting guidelines or anything like that. But yeah, a good idea. Six months out, um, I would say uh, speak to, you know, a broker or your bank rep, whoever you're talking to, but get it manually underwritten. 
right? So I've seen clients where they just go online yeah. and they're just kind of, they'll put it in a calculator and they put all their faith and the largest purchase they'll probably make in a very yeah. long time in a calculator that's, you know, it, it, it's great for sort of just a, a quick um, a quick test, like a rapid test on it to say, okay, well, is, is it even um, feasible? But it's always a good idea to get someone to actually review income, figure out down payment if there are going to be any issues with where the down payment's coming from, and then just kind of come up with a strategy. So at least you have uh, a starting point to, and you're not wasting your time, right? Because a lot of this is like, especially in this market, I'm sure you've seen it too, where uh, something comes on the market, you got to act real quick uh, and get your offer ready and and um, and, and submit it. So you, you definitely don't want to delay and having to do this. In fact, I'll tell you a little story. There was uh, a client of mine and uh, they they reached out to me because they were at their branch level. They put an offer um, on a property that it's not it's it's not exactly a desirable property uh, from a bank's perspective. Uh, one of the reasons is it has sort of an ancillary building um, that's on the property. It's larger, so six acres. So anyone out there that's listening, um, if you see like a hobby farm or you see something that's got a lot of acreage on it, oftentimes banks, um, it's not considered sort of prime real estate for them, right? So some issues there, client had gone in, they put an offer, they had, um, uh, I guess, uh, worried that uh, this opportunity was going to pass them by. So they went in without any conditions. And this is sort of a concern here. And we'll touch on this too, but mm -hmm. no conditions. They cranked up their deposit on the offer. So they actually put, I think, like 100, 150,000 on uh, property that's that's worth about seven or eight hundred thousand. They put a, a substantial yeah. deposit. Wait, so um, was this property solely like a a hobby farm, or was there like a house there, or did they want to change no, 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 no. and put a house on the property? No, so there's a house, but it gets even better. Uh, the house is, um, I, I mean, that's that's the least of their their problems. But the house. I think it was used by the workers uh, that worked on this property, but it was a um, uh, commercial cannabis farm. So nice. they had, an, and as we know um, in this industry, you know, there are certain professions and there, there are certain industries that, um, uh, that banks kind of have a harder time uh, providing financing on. And uh, in the past, it was grow ops. So if a, a property was identified as being a, a previous grow op, even if it was remediated, uh, a lot of banks would kind of turn that down. In this case, uh, cannabis production also kind of like a, you know, hard stop for a lot of lenders. Anyway, they went in firm and uh, yeah, their folks at the branch were like, oh, we, we can't do this. Go talk to a broker, see if you can get some alternative financing. So it just, it, it can be really tough because you, you want to, you know, by all accounts, you think this is a great property, but if you haven't sort of passed it by someone before, you get to the point of putting the offer and it can cost you a heck of a lot more. Right. And you could probably speak of this on an actual uh, offer. I'm sure you've seen offers that have been drafted uh, where maybe they back out or they can't close. Like what happens in that case with a deposit? I mean, deposit gets actually messy. Um, so if they don't like close, typically a lot of people kind of feel like, Oh yeah, the seller can keep the deposit. I mean, they can't really, um, but the buyer does have to sue them. 
and then the seller can claim all damages. So they can claim damages on um, the time they wasted, other extra expenditure to resell and remarket the property. So you do have to make them whole. But I mean, there's two things that I want to kind of touch upon with what you just said. You said basically to start off, um, go and get a pre-approval, right? Whether it's from the bank or it's from mortgage broker. What I've seen is banks don't necessarily give out pre-approvals. They say that you need to have an offer, mm -hmm. and oftentimes that's a bit too late, right? Um, you want, right. like, yeah. I, I personally feel like the prudent thing to do is you're getting actually uh, approved twice, right? And when I say twice, it's like um, first you have to get approved, and then your property has to get approved. But if you don't have the property, get yourself approved, and a broker is in the best situation to see what's happening also because um with a bank you're only going to one bank and most banks even aren't looking at you but if they do look at you on a pre-approval um you're only looking at what they're willing to offer you whereas a broker mm -hmm. has several different kind of options and it's best to build that relationship out early because um what i find is like if you're going in firm which a lot of people are doing even though i don't advise it you want to have you want not you don't want to be scrambling last minute to be like oh snap now i need to find somebody and understand them and get to know them and build that trust and they can understand my financial situation so that they can go to several different banks because with brokers the, th the thing is is like and i i'm sure you could speak to this more than i can where you've got like relationships that you've built with banks and and business development managers that you're not going to necessarily just throw at somebody just coming in last minute and, and you feel like this person's not serious. So you want that mm. serious there because they're also the, the, the thing with a, a uh, borrower or first time home buyers, like you're, you don't have any trust. The bank doesn't trust you. They'll work, look at your credit score. But when you're going with a broker, you're working off of the broker's trust too with the lender to secure you a loan to say, Hey, I know this guy. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly it. Right. You're kind of leveraging our relationship. Yeah um in in order to um kind of get preferential treatment so it's so important and and one of the things you had mentioned too is like if you last minute kind of say all right i gotta you know i'm gonna hit up a broker well the, the optically what that ha what that does is if i'm now representing you going to a lender and saying hey you know um this person's closing in two weeks or in a week and the first thing is well why are they taking like what happened here? Yeah. Let's look at this story. Let's unpackage it. And it's never, you know, first impressions are really important. So, um, and yeah, the other thing you touched on with approvals, um, which can get a little confusing, right? Because you think, okay, well, I've talked to my bank, I'm approved. You're not really approved. Mm. I mean, it's a pre-approval. I like to call it like a pre-positioning because you're kind of reviewing the client, you're going through all of the questions, you're determining the debt ratios, but the one thing, the one component we don't have, that unknown, the X factor is the house. Um, and the house, we're not gonna know until obviously um, uh, an offer has been accepted. At that point, if you've gone in completely firm on an offer, well, what happens, the question is, what happens if there's issues with the house? And both you and I have mm. seen, you know, files come across their desk where there's now a problem with the home. And uh, yeah, that, so there's there's a, a few different things there that uh, as first time home buyers totally get it becomes a little confusing. So 
I would say if you're six months out, go for pre-positioning, which is basically a review of your financials, uh, make sure your down payment, we at least know where it's coming from, where your debt ratios are based on today's sort of um, stress test. And then from there, you can kind of, what I usually do uh, is just make sure that I'm still in contact with, because we're putting together an A-team, right? And I don't think anyone really in this type of environment, you need to have your team talking. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a group effort here. So solicitor, um, uh, broker, uh, realtor, we should all be on the same page because we're working towards closing for the client, yeah. right? So what I usually do is, okay, let's say for example, if it's a condominium, right? There's something called a status certificate that you probably seen hundreds, if not thousands to review. Yeah. And for anyone that's uh, listening or watching this status certificates, um, that determines sort of the health of uh, a condo corporation and, and condos and townhomes that have corporations and they have to be reviewed. So, you know, it's, it's just, if you have a good relationship with the broker and the realtor, and the solicitor, the, I mean, it's pretty quick. You can flip that over, have it reviewed before, you know, maybe putting an offer in, um, or if you've got a financing condition to make sure that it's reviewed prior to signing off on it. There's just, there's so many reasons why you want to have everyone on the same page. Um, but uh, at that point, once you've got a pre sort of approval or pre qualification, um, what I do is I just say, look, uh, get your realtor. And when you guys are shopping, just flip over any listing that uh, pops out or you guys are considering putting an offer in right because then we can kind of run sort of a test on it put it into the application see if there's anything that that pops out especially downtown toronto with condominiums yeah. right because there's some of them that have you've seen developer liens that go on entire condo corps and that becomes very tricky to find financing so if you can kind of send that over um and you know, say, oh, why is this so low? Or this seems like it's below market value. Like what's going on here? Oftentimes we've seen it. So yeah, good practice to do. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of like people, um, first time home buyers. I mean, not first time home buyers and just regular, it could be their second or third house, um, who yeah. will throw in an offer and they'll go in firm or whatever. And they're not really touching base with everybody. They're just kind of saying, okay, I want this. And then when something goes wrong, they're like trying to back out. And I'm like, well, I mean, did you speak to me when you're getting into the agreement? And now that it's firm, you're asking me to find a way out. Like that's like certain yeah. things you can't reverse. And so and not even just that. I feel like as the market's getting tighter, there's a lot of, um, I would say, unattractive properties that hit the market that are taking advantage of that. And when I say unattractive properties, I've seen people throw in offers um, in properties that would not be insured because of floodplains and now you have issues there, right? Or right. Um, it looks really nice until you realize it's like a heritage home, right? Heritage site that can't be mm -hmm. changed. Or um, you're thinking of buying the house um, because it has a farm on it and possibly putting a house on it but then you realize it's part of like a conservation authority and you got to like really that, that it's expensive mm -hmm. to even think about changing the zoning, forget about like confirming or guaranteeing any kind of outcome, right? Even the attempt is expensive. Right. So right, and yeah. I've seen like, I've seen home buyers kind of play with the idea of putting in an offer 
um, in, in these properties and then realizing like, okay, well, I can't, I'm like, my thing is like, you know, if you want to do a, a zoning change, it's going to cost anywhere between five to 20,000. I can't tell you what it is, right? I'm going to have to look at the property. We have to look at what authorities have jurisdiction. We have to, we have to look at a lot of things. So understanding your boundaries, understanding your lane is extremely, extremely important. And, and that, that starts six months where you're kind of doing that research to make sure that firstly, um, you know what your affordability is, you know what type of house you need, you know what you can't get, right? All these things are kind of understood. And also because when you then, I feel like the buying season for a lot of people is not long. It's, it's, it's on the shorter end. You probably want to um, buy during the summer. You don't want to move during the winter, right? And a lot of people want to sell their property during the summer as well. So you want to make sure that you've, you've got all your ducks in a row, so that when the time comes, you can make that offer and and get the house instead of trying to figure things out and then the season is gone. So that's right. That's the other thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and it's kind of unfortunate when you know you have to have that conversation with someone where they've come to you, you know, sort of after the fact to do damage control yeah. or to get them out of a sticky situation. Yeah. It's never uh, it's never an easy thing to navigate. So. Definitely good points there to kind of keep an eye on. And um, uh, yeah, when, when you're out there shopping. Um, Harris, you've probably heard of the uh, first time home buyer incentive program. Um, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, it's, it's, you've yeah, heard of there it? Was, yeah. uh, it was, I don't know if it was really popular, but I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so for anyone that's out there that hasn't heard of it, it's uh, an incentive program that was, uh, I think, it, it launched what maybe a year 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 and a half maybe two years mm. ago it's been a while but um there was a lot of talk of this helping um uh, first-time home buyers get into the market um and obviously we have supply issues we have other issues that are, are definitely driving up the cost of real estate but this was meant to to really um help as a uh, uh as a program now it came out with a lot of mixed reviews um and to be honest personally i have not had one client uh come to me i mean i've had i've had a few come to me asking about the program but ultimately not going with the program um, i think it's kind of fallen short uh the program essentially allows you i think the uh, uh household income cannot exceed one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. um so that's sort of the threshold or the, the point where um you know, if it exceeds that, you're not eligible for, I think it's the GTA and the greater Vancouver area. Um, they've announced that it goes up to 150,000. So what that essentially means is the household income in those markets can be a little bit higher, but your purchasing power is like four times. I mean, you can find this out on the CMHC website, but <clears throat> overall the, uh, they'll provide anywhere from five to 10% um, of a down payment in a property where it's insured. So that an insured mortgage for everyone out there is a mortgage where you're putting less than 20% down on a purchase. Um, you have to obtain mortgage insurance. The mortgage insurance in Canada is provided by three insurers. And essentially that insurance is, is, um, just added into your mortgage, your principal and interest payment, and then amortized over the length of, of the um, uh, uh, the loan. So 
caps at 25 years of amortization. And then it's a percentage uh, based on the overall loan to value. So you, uh, if you haven't heard of the term LTV, that's loan to value. Um, you know, depending on how much you put down, that'll determine how much uh, mortgage premium insurance you're paying. So government comes along and says, okay, well, you know, we'll do five to 10%, depending if it's a new build or if it's an existing build. The thing I don't like, and a lot of people don't like about the program, and, you know, I'm not trying to, um, to, to knock it too much, but I just, the, it's taking advantage of the upside of the market and how much it's been increasing. So they actually have equity ownership um, a percentage. So they, they share in the upside and they say they share in the downside, right? So if there's a massive market correction, um, they're also uh, at risk there too. But I don't know. I mean, what's your opinion on it? Well, Do you I, think I, that, so I don't uh, know too much of it about it because nobody, literally nobody has uh, yeah. crossed, like come through our firm that's used that. Um, but my question is, is they're only taking a percentage of like, uh, so if they're putting down half of your down payment, that ownership stake remains the same. So I'm assuming that like, let's say the house is worth a hundred thousand and they put 10,000 down, they own 10% of the property. That's Hi hypothetical, correct. Yeah, exaggerated yeah. So, numbers, it's not going to come to 10%. Yeah, but yeah. So if it goes up or down, they're going to, they're never going to ask you at any point um, to take it back or can you buy them out? Yeah, so it's fully open to prepayment. So you can pay it out at any time, uh, from my understanding. But yeah, it's just, it's kind of wild. So let's say, Right. Let's use that hundred thousand dollar. I don't know where the heck you're buying for a hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> but let's just say you bought a, a house for a hundred thousand dollars on sale for ten thousand. <laughs> right. You you bought a garden shed yeah. for a hundred thousand dollars out in a uh, on a hobby farm. Anyway, so a hundred thousand uh, dollars. Banks are the um, you've got five percent down, and remember, it can't exceed twenty percent down because then it's not insured. So you've you've got five percent government's going to come in and they're going to say we're going to put and it's a new build so a new build they'll do up to 10 percent. so they, they're going to put 10 percent in you have five percent they have 10 that's 15 percent down still insured right so that 10 percent they just put down or ten thousand dollars let's say uh over the course of i believe you have to actually so it's only for owner occupied so you got to live in the house and i think you have to stay in it for something like four years Otherwise, if you sell earlier, there's some sort of penalty or I, I have to look into a little bit more, but let's just say you hold on to it for, let's say five years. Yeah. And that, uh, that hundred thousand dollar property now is appreciated to 200,000, right? Um, that 10% now is 20,000 bucks that they take right off the top of your appreciation. I mean, it kind of, I don't know. It's, uh, it's a program that once you explain it to a lot of clients, they're just like, eh, you know what, we'll pay the little bit more in mortgage insurance premium. And what, typically when you do the the, um, the debt ratios and the calculations for people, it really doesn't help them too much in affording more yeah. property, right? So it's like now the government's owning, the bank owns your property, the government owns your property, you own a little bit of it, um, but it hasn't helped you get into a, a, a you know, larger house. So. I don't know. It's yeah. It's, uh, it's something about it rubs me the wrong way too. I wouldn't want the government owning my house. That's just like right. I don't know. But how for the uh, for any uh, ha was it uh, uh, high ratio mortgages? 
what's the minimum amount of down payment a buyer needs to put in? Uh, that's a good question, actually. I'm glad we're talking about this. So uh, we have sort of a, a sliding scale, right? So the maximum amount for any insured mortgage right now, and there's talks of it obviously increasing just because the cost of uh, property now is just kind of ballooned, but it tops out at a million less a dollar. So 999999 It's got to be under a million dollars, the purchase price. I actually have another client uh, who he bought a pre-construction, a fantastic client, can easily debt service, uh, you know, a uh, doctor. Problem is the pre-construction purchase price after he added on a whole bunch of additional, um, so he bought it for like nine, let's say 960. Yeah. Add in another $50,000 in upgrades that pushes the purchase price over a million bucks. Now he's not eligible for that 5% or that uh, insured mortgage with the minimum down payment. You got to, you go basically from your minimum under a million bucks. As soon as you're over a million bucks, it's 20% instantly. So you right? can't, so, you can't like, let's say um, you're buying a uh, property for, 1.1 million. You can't put down the 100,000 and then insure the rest of the million. Yeah, um I mean if it's with a developer, that's a really good question um that uh probably have to call and, and find out with CMHC and one of the banks because you could maybe prepay, have an adjustment mm. on the purchase agreement for a lower price and then run it that way. That is an option. Um yeah, I just have to see how how banks would. I guess it's also a case by case that. scenario as well, right? So it's like looking yeah, at the yeah. financial position because you have to have the yeah. money to to pay yeah. for all those out of pocket. But essentially, so in the first five hundred thousand, it's five percent down, so that's twenty five thousand minimum down payment, and then anything in excess of five hundred thousand is ten ten um, percent. So let's say you had a property a purchase price of seven hundred fifty thousand. So the first five hundred thousand is twenty five thousand, so five percent, and then the extra two hundred fifty thousand that bumps up to ten percent. So that's another twenty five thousand. So fifty thousand is your minimum down payment on a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar purchase. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of how it works. Now, the interesting thing when you're doing insured mortgages. Uh, and a lot of first-time home buyers, <clears throat> they want to take advantage of putting less uh, down, right? Because <clears throat> in this type of market, I mean, if you think about it, 20% down on an average home price in the GTA of what, 800,000 or something yeah. crazy, uh, or maybe it's condos that are like eight, um, $160,000. How long does it take two people working full-time uh, to save up that type of money? I mean, it's a lot of money, right? So um yeah it, for insured mortgages which is quite a few first-time home buyers uh take advantage of the program the debt ratio so you have your two ratios i'm not going to get too technical on this yeah. but there's basically gross debt service total debt service those two and it's a percentage of your overall household income those ratios are like pretty much set in stone. You go on CMHC, you go on Sajin or Canada Guarantee, the three insurers. If you go on the websites, you'll see their their um, uh, limits on what your GDS and TDS can be. You can easily uh, calculate this online, or if you want to go old school and you know use a pen and paper, you can also calculate your GDS and TDS. Actually, that's a good idea for like a uh, a video. 
in the future. <laughs> I can kind of yeah. walk people through it manually, but um, or I mean, to it be can't honest, be exceeded. Man, like, if, if I'm I'm a first time home buyer or a ten time home buyer, I'd still go to a broker and be like, all right, like I don't. There's certain things I don't want to yeah, deal with this. Yeah. Why do you, I mean, why do you need to figure this out? Right. Like it's like, yeah. there's always going to be that uncertainty, whether you did it right or wrong. So I'd rather just go to a professional and be like, all right, um, just help me yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of, I mean, I guess it's a good exercise if you plan on buying a lot or you just want to kind of understand mm. sort of the mechanics behind it. Uh, it's funny. It reminds me of like, uh, so in flight, flight school, I, I, I I've done my uh, flight training for my personal, um, my PPL, and uh, we have to learn how to use a flight calculator. And if you've looked online, you'll see this this big sort of calculator thing that um, it's so manual and it's just a big hunk of metal to determine, um, you know, a, a, a ton of uh, different calculations that easily could be done with the program. Mm. Uh, so there's a program called for flight that a lot of pilots use. And, uh, I mean, there's no reason to do it, but some people want to understand sort of, well, well, how do you manually calculate all of this stuff here? So anyway, it's the same sort of thing. You can calculate it or you can just get, you know, broker to do it, which is way easier to do. Um, but those ratios can't be exceeded. So regardless of what bank you go to, if you're getting an insured mortgage, um, the bank has to get sort of the blessing or the approval from the insurer and there's no sort of gray area there. It's either a go or no. Mm -hmm. I feel like when it's so. a high ratio, um, the bank kind of takes a back seat, like the insurer kind of yeah. calls the shots. And if they yeah. insure you, you're good. And if they don't, then the bank doesn't care. Like they're not going to give you anything. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And sometimes too, like in a, a certain circumstances, um, you know, some banks don't work with certain insurers. They might just say, okay, well, we're, we do all of our insurance, yeah. our, our high ratio mortgages through CMHC or Sagen, or we might have access to two, or we might just do Canada Guarantee. And they have different programs. I think I touched this on this on the last, um, uh, our last episode, but I talked about the low doc program, low doc advantage, I think, with um, Sagen, or not Sagen, uh, Canada Guarantee. So this program, you have to, it's it's a little tricky because you have to find, so certain clients, they're perfect for it and they won't fit any other program, but it helps them get into a high ratio mortgage, right? So, but then you have to find a bank that's actually using that insurer. So it's a lot yeah. of like calling the insurer first and then calling the bank and saying, do you actually work with this insurer? And then, you know, once you kind of put those pieces together, then you can go ahead and then submit for an approval. But um yeah. 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 That's just goes to show, you know, there's like a lot of brokers have a lot of different products. Um, again, that like, again, you're, it's a lot of valuable information that you're given, but for me, again, it's, I'm more of like, uh, um, go to a professional, get it done. Yeah. Right. Cause yeah. it's like, you're, you're looking at this every day. Right. And to some extent, like I'm in the, I'm in the periphery of this, right. I see it because we're working with, the lenders and all of them to fund deals and they get paid like the, the actual legal side of it where they're, they're, they're paying um, the mortgage on the other side. We're working with the banks for any conditions. So we get to see some of it, but we don't really see the financial side of how it got to our desk. And mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. with me having some kind of exposure to it, 
I would say it gets overwhelming with the amount of products and the way you'd have to qualify for different things where it's like, I'd rather just kind of go to a professional and say, okay, here you go. Um, just like, yeah. here's my situation. What can I, uh, afford and like, what's the best way to proceed? Right. Um, yeah. Oh man. Like a hundred percent. Like when I was, um, uh, prior to do doing the brokering, right. I, I mean, you remember me in my days, even after we worked at Mercedes Benz together, um, we were like, you branched off, you did your own thing. Um, and then I did the, you know, my own thing, which involved owning a tea company and then running, you know, that kombucha bar and doing sort of small business stuff, man, I was so preoccupied, like most first time home buyers, you know, you just, you're, you're occupied with your day to day and you're just like, kind of like, can I hand this stuff to someone yeah. to get it done? And that's how I got sort of introduced to the world of mortgage brokering because my one, my local bank at the time, they just didn't want to talk to me. They're like, no, oh, man, like you're an entrepreneur, yeah. you know, you're, pretty much one step away from being homeless. So I mean, uh, handing this stuff, I, I would kind of disagree with handing it off. I would say like, for example, you go to a doctor, you don't hand your health to like the doctor, right? Like you have to, cause they, they yeah, know yeah, your yeah, stuff, yeah. right? They know yeah. every single update that's happening. They don't, when things are changing, they know like what's happening in the field of medicine and you're going to go and trust them, right? And you're going to basically let them decide because I don't know how, even though my body is very, like, an intimate part of me, you know, um, I still yeah, don't know what the heck's going on inside, right? So I'm going to go to a doctor. Same thing with, I feel like, yeah. but with professionals, with mortgages, it's, I don't feel like, it, it, it because of the current climate, it's no longer like, here's your interest rate, and then it's going to amortize over 25 years, and you're going to pay this much amount. Like, there's so many different products right? That it's, it's limitless. There's products where I've seen, um, again, high ratio, low ratio, you're looking at products where um, different insurers have different things. There's also products where I don't know if this is even applicable here. But like, you have a huge portion that's a credit line, the other portions like a smaller portion, that's a mortgage, right? You paid, you can pay it down faster. You know, what about portability? What about like, you know, there's all these other things. What if I want to like uh, pay down? How much can I pay down uh, early every year? Like there's so many things that are involved um, right. that it gets yeah, extremely yeah. difficult. At least for me, it's like very overwhelming with all the the moving parts to figure out what options I have and like what I should be looking at. And I feel like that's where yeah, the professionals are kind of like, okay, you know what? Like I know um, your back may be hurting. This is okay. This is perfect, right? Sometimes, right, when people have back, when you have your back hurting, and this is what I've kind of found out recently, right, it's not because there's anything going wrong with your back. It could be that you have flat feet, right, and that's what gets right, your back right, right, right. To hurt. But I didn't know this. Yeah. I'd, for me, it would be like, okay, I got to go look at my back, right? It's the same thing right, with mortgage. Right, right, right. You know, it's like I don't know what's hurting or what I need, but it's the professional will know more um, in terms of like what they can get me. Um, and what's best for me, not even just the max amount or lowest rate or whatever, what the complete product, which one is the best for me and my lifestyle, they would know more than I would. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, we're kind of like matchmakers in that yeah. sense, uh, too. Like just trying to, trying to take all the raw data in figuring out sort of, okay, well, what, what is the, the end goal here? What, what do you want to achieve? And then structuring it in a way that makes sense for the borrower, but also 
um, you know, is in the best light for a lender so you can get that approval because that's essentially what it comes down to. And yeah, back in my days of like tea shopping and, uh, and doing the retail thing, um, when I say hand off, I mean more like I don't have the mental capacity to deal. I know what I want mm. and I know, you know, sort of like this is, this is essentially what I'm trying to do. Help me navigate it. How, what do you need? And, you know, let me know how it's going to pan out. And I've kind of taken that to heart too, because every client that comes uh, across my desk, you know, they're not, it's not cookie cutter. Everyone's got their own story, their own goals, their own challenges and struggles. And it's, it literally is sort of like a matchmaker. So you find the right lender that matches with that client's um, current needs and then future needs. So yeah, definitely it's, it's so important to kind of, um, uh, and be completely open and transparent because we're kind of, and this is one of the, um, analogies I've used with it. And I've no, I've experienced this too. Like when you go into a bank and not to knock, uh, the mobile mortgage specialists or the bank, the branches, I mean, you know, they, they serve a purpose and, and they're good at what they do. But when you are going to a bank rep, what's a bank rep? bank represent the representing the bank yeah. right even though they're hey come down sit, let's talk uh, i want to do business with you at the end of the day they're sitting across the table from you and you're stating your case and you're like mr banker i need money right so in our world of brokering we're kind of like your ally we're on your side uh, it's kind of like if you went into a, a branch to negotiate we're sitting on the side beside you to say okay well you know these are the merits this is the type of client um, this is why, um, you know, you're lucky to have them and to have their business. And because we come in as volume players, right? If you walk into a branch and you need a mortgage for 500,000, but we've just placed in the same month, uh, you know, 20 million or something with that lender, we have a little bit of negotiating power too. So yeah, it's, um, and I think more than anything, a lot of people focus, and you mentioned this too, Harris, on the um, back in the day, you know, you used to have just like one rate. We're talking insured or high ratio mortgages. There's so mm. many different products. So it's 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 more so uh, now th than ever so important to make sure that when you're discussing um, your plan and your strategy, you don't just focus on mm. the interest rate because you're missing out on so many things like prepayments or uh, penalties, uh, portability, um, you know, being able to access that equity. Because I've seen a lot of people in the last couple of years, they realized how much equity they're sitting on. And if you, you're triggering a penalty and you hadn't anticipated, or you had no idea there was a penalty because, you know, the the guy down at the, the branch just gave you a really good rate. I mean, then it's kind of stifling your ability to, to make the next move. So Speaking of penalties, it's all about sort of the mortgage. Uh, within... Uh, the last week or so, um, I had a penalty come by our desk, uh, my desk, across my desk, 60 grand. I was like, what the heck? Yeah. 60 or is it 68? Some, some obscene number, man. It's like stupid. How much was the mortgage? It was sizable. It was sizable. I forget it was. Yeah. It was like a million or two, one point something million. Um, yeah. But the thing is, is what people don't realize is like, yeah, they're going straight to the bank. How many first time home buyers are going to go straight to the house 
to buy the house. You get a realtor to go represent mm. yourself, right? I, I haven't seen anyone right. kind of go in and self-represent. Why? Because you're getting into a contract and you want somebody who's kind of on your side because uh, why aren't you just kind of going with the seller's realtor? Maybe because, you know, they're representing the seller, right? So yeah. I, yeah. I, same thing I would argue and I, I'm not I'm not kind of casting doubt on anyone's professionalism, but the bank reps are selling the bank's products. Right. So if you look at it that yeah. way, now you're kind of looking at like um, whose interest is it? They're only getting they have one interest only. Right. Um, whereas a right. broker yeah. is kind of like, all right, well, if this guy doesn't play ball, I'll go somewhere else. You know, I'm going to make sure that I find kind of the deal that's right for the client, what's good for them. And, and, um, sometimes it's not even up to, I feel like it's not the fault of the bank reps, right? Cause they can only provide you with the products that the bank has available, right? They don't have, right, they yeah, don't have yeah. the product that's available. That's the best for you. They don't know what to give you, right? They're going to give you whatever kind of, okay, well, if you're, if your shoe size is you're like a, a nine or a 10, right. And they don't have nine or a 10, they'll give you a 12. It'll still fit. It'll just be a little loose. You know what I mean? You might yeah, be tripping yeah, yeah, on yourself yeah, here yeah. and there, right? Tie those shoelaces real tight, but it'll fit. You know what I mean? So that's what they're kind of doing. So you want you want your the right size shoe so you can run the fastest you can. Yeah, I love the analogies we've just been like throwing out there today. It's been all over the map. It's good though. Uh, so um, this actually it reminds me of a, a file that I had. Um, and you know, typically people are signing up for a five-year term. Right. That's the most yeah. common is to do a five year term. So I had a client um, back in 2016. So we're coming up on five years uh, last year. Came to me and he's like, hey, actually, no, no, no. This was he had broke the mortgage early and it was with a credit union. Mm. And I don't not credit. I love credit unions. They're great. Um, they're very specific. So, you know, depending on a client, if, let's say, for example, you uh, you've got a client that's in the military. Well, chances are they may move outside the province uh, credit union because they're provincially regulated. They might not be in that province. Maybe not a good fit for this client though. Perfect fit, great rate, good product. Um, and uh, fast forward, he's like, Hey, Dan, um, I'm looking to move into another town and uh, we need to sell a place break the mortgage. Okay, no problem. So we run through uh, his affordability, finds a new place. Um, and actually, sorry, he was doing an equity takeout. So he wasn't selling the old place. He was just refinancing it, right, to pull some money up. But the penalty, so he calls the credit union. And the penalty they quoted uh, was, let's say it was, I don't know, $3,000. So you incorporate that when we're doing the analysis to make yeah. sure, okay, does this make sense? And then come time to actually um, uh, get the refinance, which was only like a week later, um, we ordered the discharge statement and the penalty uh, went from like three grand to twelve and a half thousand dollars. Massive change. And the, you know, um, not to fault anyone on this, but the credit union did change, uh, I, I believe it was the posted rate so the calculation on a fixed rate penalty um, coincides with that change in, in the posted rate. So it increased the amount of uh, penalty for the client. Anyway, it, just to touch on your your whole like bank representative working with you know your your branch, 
he could have easily walked in a few years ago, gone to that credit union, gotten the same mortgage, right? Mm. And wouldn't even know that I existed. But he would have likely done the same thing where he was taking money out and he would have paid instead of $3,000 to $12,500. But because I had seen that and we had enough documentation and because of my relationship with the lender, um, we escalated this. And we, I was... I made the case. Uh, we stood our ground on it, and uh, at the end of the day, the I, I think the um, credit union decided that uh, you know they were in the wrong um, in how they represented it, and and they honored the old penalty. And that's something where I mean he was ecstatic because uh, you know if he was to go ahead and just go into the branch, I don't think he would have fought for it. I think he would have just accepted yeah. it or maybe not even have done the refi mm -hmm. and been able to buy, you know, the properties. And so, you know, the, the value of working with a broker and I'm not trying to, um, you know, but anyway, the, the no, no, I can attest the broker to that. is definitely I've there. I've seen that several times. I've seen that actually yeah. enough times where uh, if you're going to a bankrupt, the bankrupt's not going to like look at your, especially if you're refinancing, um, they're not going to look at the discharge statement. And I've seen, strong brokers right like go in and negotiate and be like no the discharge statement like right. if it changes because i've seen a huge yeah. fluctuation because especially over the past few years right like interest rates constantly been dropping the differential keeps going up so then it's like a lot of money and yeah. a, a bankrupt's not a bank rep is never not necessarily going to go i mean not necessarily they never do because that's not part of their job with the brokers it's it's uh they can just go in and talk to all these banks because um, chances are that uh, that broker, it may be repositioning your mortgage with that credit line now, but they are giving that credit line or credit union, sorry, um, business as well. So they're, right, you're, right, you're right, leveraging yeah. that relationship. Exactly. And they look at it sort of holistically and they say, okay, you win some, you lose yeah. some sort of thing. But overall, you know, it's a, it's a great partnership here and we want to continue doing business. So it just, it makes sense. Yeah. A hundred percent. And for anyone that's listening on this and you're kind of confused, like you're probably going to be confused on yeah. what IRD penalties and discharge statements, essentially anytime that you're making a change to a mortgage. So this wouldn't happen when you're just buying a property, but down the road, let's say you want to make a change and you signed on a five-year agreement um, uh, for a mortgage term. If you break it before the five years is up, that's going to trigger a penalty. Yeah. And that penalty, uh, when you get to the lawyer's office to break the the mortgage, uh, they request, you guys request a, uh, uh, what's it called? Payout? The discharge payout statement. statement? Yeah. Discharge statement. And that discharge statement basically states from the bank what that penalty is going to be. So that's basically what a discharge statement is. Anyone doing first time home buying, you don't have to worry about that right now. But keep in mind that, yeah, there are penalties out there that um, are built into every every mortgage. Yeah. So I mean, so we've talked about. Yeah. What you gonna I was just going to say, so we've, we've already touched on sort of the six months out getting pre-positioned or getting pre-approved on it. Um, I guess the other question is, uh, as far as um, what you do in the capacity of first-time home buyers, you're the legal representation. Um, do you want to touch a little bit on that? Like what, what are people to expect um, in this scenario? What's, what's, what's your role in all of it? So when lawyer? you, when you're buying a house and, and you've, 
when you come to us, you typically have uh, an agreement of purchase and sale. Sometimes you're coming to us and uh, you need a status certificate review. Um, so we're working with the brokers. We're working with the realtors and the mortgage brokers. We get the status certificate. We review it. In fact, I've got some to review today as well after this podcast. But yeah. uh, we review it to make sure that, you know, legally it, uh, it there's no red flags. Um, and then once you're, you go firm, we will do a title search on your property property to make sure that their your title when when the seller hands it over is clean. Um, and then we will be working with the seller's law firm to ensure that everything works out. And, and, and if there's anything on title that shouldn't be, it should be taken off. If there's any mortgages we may, on the title, that, which is perfectly normal if the seller has a mortgage, um, we, we make sure that we get the right documentation and ensure that it's all paid off through the right channels, right? right? So we have channels that we, we use. So we never, for example, um, we would never let the seller's lawyer give the money to their client and have them pay off the mortgage. We always have um, the seller's lawyer guarantee that the firm, the, the law firm is going to pay it off and they're kind of responsible, all that stuff. So we take care of all of that. One of the biggest things though, um, I think that uh, first time home buyers especially don't realize is land transfer tax. So land transfer tax mm. is expensive. Um, uh, and, and, and it's a significant, it's probably the biggest portion that you have to kind of pay for. It's not part of your mortgage, right? So typically you're paying right. for your legal fees, your land transfer tax, and any kind of disbursements to, to put everything together um, when you're buying the house. Um, so the land transfer tax, if you're a first-time home buyer, um, it's, it's if you're outside of Toronto, you get 50% off up to a max of 4000 And I believe if you're buying within Toronto, um, well, if you're outside of Toronto, you get, you get the provincial land transfer tax. So if first time home buyers, 50% off up to a maximum of 4,000. If you're buying within Toronto, you have two land transfer taxes, which is what people should remember. You have the provincial one and you have the, uh, the city one, the city of Toronto, uh, municipal land transfer tax. So you have, um, two transfer land transfer taxes, essentially double. Land, Toronto land transfer tax. So there, it, it's the same percentage, like the it's, the provincial and the municipal. It's the same percentage, but for first time home wow. buyers, I believe uh, land transfer tax for Toronto is fifty percent without the cap. So I gotta uh, check on that, but it's it's, it's it doesn't have a cap of four thousand. So right, right. Um, you uh, so it doesn't mean that you're not paying anything. It is sizable. So you, I would definitely like when when. Um, yeah, first time home buyers looking at that, they do go through sticker shock in the beginning. They're like, whoa, what is this? So be prepared yeah. for that. So that's your biggest kind of, um, for a purchase, it's your biggest out of pocket expense. Right. And I think, uh, and like I'll see on a lot of commitments. So when a, a clients come to us, they found a property, they put the offer in, we need the, the um, lender now. Now we're doing the pairing and we have, you know, sort of a deadline to get that approval. Um, anytime it's high ratio, so less than 20% down, there is always a condition on that mortgage approval that states the buyer must have a minimum of one and a half percent of the purchase price set aside for closing costs. And that one and a half percent has to come from their own funds. It can't come from like borrowed sources or credit cards or gifted funds or yeah. whatever it's got to come from your own yeah. pocket so 
you don't really see this on conventional purchases. They don't need the confirmation because you're putting 20% down. But yeah, something else to kind of keep an eye on. Do you find that one and a half percent typically covers in Toronto when you include a double tax uh, land transfer tax? Does that cover it? Uh, I wouldn't know off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. It's a, but regardless, those closing costs definitely add up. And I've heard people too like call me up and say, Oh my God, like, you know, I didn't know it was going to be so expensive to, to close on it. And I mean, these are all, I, I feel like as lawyers, you guys, you do a heck of a lot of work and you don't charge as much. And to me, I look at it and I'm like, okay, you know what? Um, for the cost of the legal representation, um, for you guys to review documents like status certificates, to discharge anything, to make sure that the title is clean, you are legally representing people in a capacity and a purchase that is, you know, the, like I said, the largest purchase they've likely made to date. Um, it's yeah, it's it's not that expensive. But the one thing I've noticed, and not to knock in any other law firm and uh, whatnot, but sometimes I'll see buried in it, like they'll have a really low sort of like, hey, um, and it's the same thing as when people send to me like, oh wow, I got this email with an interest rate that's like killer. Well. You also get email blasts where it's like four ninety nine closing costs, oh, yes. right? But then that doesn't include things like what your title insurance or uh, there's there's a whole bunch of things that you guys yeah. have to pay for as as lawyers that add into that or like if things have to be discharged or paid out, there's costs, there's wire fee yeah. costs and everything else, right? Built in. I just feel like it's, you know, I, I oftentimes I'm doing the. Um, I'm trying to explain to people, especially first time home buyers, that, hey, you know what, you kind of get what you pay for, but you also, um, there's a lot of hidden things here. So you want to have full transparency. I, I, I think the biggest misconception, I mean, it's not a misconception. What ends up happening is if when you're working, when you're buying, you're, you're stressed out, fair enough, but you're seeing mm. what the realtor is doing, right? They're bringing you to different houses, they're doing all of that. You're seeing what the mortgage brokers kind of to some extent doing because they're asking you questions and, and all of that stuff. Our stuff requires little input from the client. In fact, unfortunately, the only time the client gets a call from me is when something's going wrong. If it's going right, right then they don't get a call from me because we're doing title search and that, that takes experience. It takes um, expertise to go through the title and make sure we're going, we're requisitioning the right things and making sure that the money's flowing the right way, making sure we're getting the right warranties from the sellers, making sure the documents and everything line up it takes experience, but we don't need input from the buyer. We just need the buyers like address their phone number, IDs, kind of like that. And then if something goes wrong, then we, we kind of have to have that conversation with them. Um, so often enough because they're not seeing us, they feel like we're not doing the work <laughs> and it's difficult yeah. <laughs> for us, you know, to, at the same time, kind of show them what we're doing. But really, I mean, like, again, like if you want to, um, add 10 years of experience on top of three years of law school, then, uh, and in like five minutes is going to be difficult. I can't really explain like yeah. in depth why I'm doing certain things. I just know I have to do them because it is like it's contingent or dependent on like 20 other things that I have to deal with. And, and if I'm going to start explaining all of that to you, then I'd have to charge you hourly. It's going to get expensive. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, thank you, your honor. I'm not, not today. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway. So 
there's I know there's a lot to unpackage for first time boat home buyers, uh, and, and the process can seem pretty overwhelming because there's other things too, right? You gotta you gotta plan. Okay, well, um, you know, start packing stuff up, movers, um, getting your your utilities and everything sorted out at the new property. Um, tons of things involved when it comes to buying a property for the first time. So, uh, I think if anything, the key takeaway here is just you know, hire the right people uh, that are representing you and try to take as much off your plate as you possibly can um, when it comes to, you know, the stress of all of it. But at the same time, too, you want to be um, uh, educated in 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 the buyer process. And I feel like, honestly, I'm <laughs> obviously I'm a mortgage broker here, Harris. Yeah. But what I really pride myself on is being able to educate people as they kind of go down this journey. And I know you're exactly the same mm. way too, right? Like you spend your time, you take your time walking people through every everything. Like, um, so it's, I think, and I think it's so important because the more you understand, the more, uh, and I always encourage people to ask questions, uh, as many questions as you possibly can, because it's the only way you're going to get the answers. So, um, yeah, uh, I think I think that that pretty much, at least for me, wraps it up yeah um, no i think that was a good that was a good episode um i mean again there's so much we've just touched the tip of the iceberg if you've got questions they should they're more than welcome to reach out to us um and we'd be happy sure. to answer them but again we're, we've just kind of touched the tip of the iceberg right and it's like we see this every yeah. day and i, I speak uh, about you and me both even though we see this every day, we're con it's not even just that we see it, we're immersed in it. So we're constantly learning about it. We're constantly um, kind of updating our facts um, based on everything that's going on. So that's the other thing, right? right? Like a lot of people will be first time homebuyers jumping into it, right? They'll say, okay, well, I read this article. Well, how, when was that article? You don't know if it's dated or not, if there's any changes and it's, it's difficult to kind of wrap your head around it, especially when you're jumping into it and realize, okay, this is the progression We're we know the progression cause we're living the progression. So. Right. Yeah. 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 We're as, as relevant yeah. <laughs> as can be right now. So it's um, yeah, it was good. It was a good, good conversation today. Um, thank you again, Harris, for, for setting this up for us and, uh, Looking forward to the next Tuesday talk, All right, man. which will be next Tuesday. Yeah. Thanks, guys, for joining us. See you next time. Yeah. All right, guys. Take care.